come to our attention that a mysterious force is loose somewhere in outer space. Welcome to Talk Tank. Sponsored by the OVH Cloud Startup Program. Hello, you have reached the Talk Tank, the official LSE Entrepreneur Podcast, where we delve into the minds of those who think, live, and breathe outside the box. My name is Alyssa Chung, and I will be your host for today. Entrepreneurship and leadership is the creation of value through innovative ideas and collaboration. But in this series, we look beyond the profit. We interview social change makers who are leading us to a brighter tomorrow. It is officially in with the old, out with the new. The funny way to shop is now by Kilo. Today's guest is Matt Griffiths, founder of We Are, the company on a mission to redefine fashion forever. There is a good chance you might have heard of We Are, as they have been taking over the UK with their second life fashion pop-up events from London all the way to Edinburgh. Matt is your go-to guy when it comes to anything retail. From being part of the team responsible for scaling TK Maxx in the UK to today, helping brands with their merchandising presentation and working together with private equity firms and banks to close retailers all over Europe, it is safe to say that Matt knows a thing or two about getting a good deal. We Are is playing a huge role in revolutionizing fashion for a sustainable future by taking the UK and my Instagram feed by storm. We are so excited to welcome Matt on the podcast today. Welcome to the Talk Tank, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself in depth to our audience? Who is Matt Griffiths? I started my career with John Lewis as a trainee buyer. And then I was lucky enough to move to TKMX when it started in the UK. And we all sat in a six of us starting, sat in a small porter cabin. And uh, lots and lots of people helped to build that into the business it is today. But it taught me a lot about running shops and the fun of good old fashioned shopkeeping and touching, feeling the garments. Because clearly the internet hadn't started. And so it was all about shopping. And I learned how to deal with suppliers across the world. And it gave me a very good insight into how to build businesses. And I went on since I left TK Maxx to build my own business, which works from Dublin to Moscow with big brands. And then we also work with private equity on a number of different large scale retailing projects. What motivated you to start this sustainable fashion business? When did you start and, you know, what made you decide that, oh, this is what I want to do? Elisa, it was, it was fun. At Christmas, my children were telling me off for not putting the thing in the right dustbin. I should be recycling this, that, and the other. And I've got a wide range of children from 24 down to 17. And they were really honored me that we had to do everything perfectly properly and everything had to go in the right container. And then during the pandemic, I'm walking along and I'm thinking, I'm just over 50. What do I do next? What would be big and fun? Where were the opportunities? Because I've got a good business, but I like to be busy. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, and I thought shopping's not dead. People like to shop. So I thought that the, the market for sustainability 
was very, very interesting. And if you just look at how the global population is going to grow, the prediction is that by 2040, there's going to be 9 billion people. And think about it, about it requires to make a t-shirt 1700 liters of water, which is enough water for one person to live on for 600 days. Genes use two and a half thousand liters of water. And you've got this coming together where you've got these facts about it's just so important that we all change our behavior and you've got the market size of sustainability, which is just going to grow exponentially. And I thought if we put the two and two together and we combine this with people do actually like to shop, let's give it a try. And that's why we decided to start. We are, and that's what happened. When did you decide to start? We are, it's been a very quick process. I'm talking to you on Valentine's day. And we actually only started, we briefed the design company last May and we launched our first pop-up. We did some tests in Devon and Cornwall during August and we hit London on the 1st of September. So it's been a very fast trajectory, but uh, we're used to doing things very quickly and it's been hard work, but good fun. Wow. That really hasn't been so long. I, I remember seeing ads for We Are even before, like before September, before I came to the UK. So it was to we, think that it's been less than a year is wow. It, we were evolving our social media very early on and we were pumping it, pumping it very hard because we're building, we now is a brand and it's a brand that people are getting used to, certainly in London, uh, they're getting familiar with the, our values and that's really important to us. Um, we use social media to good effect in, in that particular way. What, what other methods do you use other than social media? Cause I, like how, how useful has it been? as a tool in spreading your business's messages, a message of sustainable fashion, but other than social media, what else do you guys do? We, we've tested a lot, lots of, we, we like to do lots of tests. We tested radio in Cornwall and we did lots of different radio adverts, which was quite fun. Social media, particularly Instagram works very well. There is no question about that. And we've te we're testing, we've done print as, as well. So we've done a, a wide variety and we just, it depends on location. It depends on age group we're targeting. What, what's the, the best way? It's certainly not all social, social media. It's a combination we find. Well, right now, like which, which areas of the UK are you using print and where are you using radio still? Um, we, we, we're launching in Berlin soon. And we'll do more print and traditional media in Berlin to start with. And we've used a bit of print in London and we've used it in Edinburgh. So it's normally a combination of different advertising mechanics to get the right number of customers to come to our events. And just to, to, to tell people what to explain what, because it's unusual what we're doing. Pop-up retailing is still unusual, right? People don't expect to come to a pop-up retailer, which is 400 square meters, which looks like a normal, and they're just still getting used to it in the UK. And that's what we're trying, trying to explain on this journey. Who would you say is your target audience for? When we sat down to talk about it, everybody said, it was just going to be young people. And I was banging the table and I said, look, I don't care just about young people. I want it to be everybody because everybody, let's go back to that conversation at Christmas with my children. Dad, we've all got to recycle. We've all got to change the world. If it's just the young people, it does not change. If it's everybody doing their own little bit, we can change things. Right. So just appealing to young people, young people are naturally very sustainable because they're taught sustainability for breakfast at school. Okay. Every child learns so much about sustainability. They're my easiest customer. The more difficult customers are 40 year olds and a bit older who haven't been brought up with it. They're a bit more reticent about secondhand clothes. And it's there, the people that we've got to convince because we're going for the big space, which 
Who's Zara's customer? It's young people, but it's everybody. And the big retailers, TK, who's TK's customer? It's everybody. So let's not pretend. It's everybody. Do you think that we are as initiative is putting the message, uh, message across successfully to this age group so far? I think judging by the popularity of our events, it's safe to say that we have landed and that people are loving what we are doing. And it is, I was in Chiswick on Sunday afternoon and it is absolutely everybody from all demographics of all ages who are shopping our events. It's just insane. And people, um, always say you should be online or online is everything about retailing. And it's interesting. Last week I did a lot of traveling. I was in Berlin on Monday. I was in Istanbul, Zulu, their big shopping center on Tuesday. And then I was in Athens on Wednesday and then back to London for the back end. I went to the major shopping conurbations of all those cities. Everywhere the shops were busy with people liking to touch and buy things. So going forward, retailing is a combination of great online, which people like next do so well, but also a good presence on the high street and making it fun for the consumers. So it's that combination which makes shopping fun and people want to buy. It's not just about online and it's certainly not just about shops. But have you, did you consider maybe an online aspect to things at the very start of We Are, especially because, you know, we were in the middle of a pandemic last year? We are is on a big journey. We will go, we will have an online presence. There is absolutely no doubt about that. But we believe that we, we want to get the brand established and then hit online. Rather than trying to establish the brand online, we're going to do it with our event-based model. And then we will add all a good, strong online presence. And we're just developing that at the moment. But it is absolutely our belief that it's a combination and that there will always be normal retailing and a good online presence. So we won't be one or the other. We will be both, right? Which is really, which is what we saw, but we wanted to get the event space model right first to build the brand and then to do online. That was how this was the logic that we were applying. Okay. What are your views on the current state of the fashion industry in terms of sustainability? You know, how, how would you define the problem of fast fashion and who do you think is the one who's really responsible for this? We could all blame the H&Ms and the other big retailers. I think that's nonsense. The customers are very driven by price. When you and I go and watch a Primark store, those customers are going to Primark because of quality and value. That is because of price and the quality of the goods. I bet you if we spoke to Paul Marchant at Primark or Zara or anybody, they are working seriously hard to become as sustainable as possible. But you can't change these huge businesses just overnight, but I'm quite sure that the, the fashion industry, and I, I know I'm, I was in Turkey last week and the, there is such a big drive about recycling and using recycled cotton. Um, the, the, the fashion industry is changing dramatically, but you can't change it overnight. So it's a slow process. I don't think it's, the, I think it's a combination of consumers different by price. The fashion industry has taken advantage of that. The fashion industry has learned its mistake and most of the good companies are working very hard to, to change, to change it. In this view, do you think that slow fashion would be able to take over the, like the fast fashion, like retailers or like, what, where do you think slow fashion fits into this? I think slow fashion is a component. Okay. Fast fashion will always exist. Right, because people will always want to go out and buy a nice new dress or a nice new shirt. But will 
slow fashion and sustain a fashion become much bigger? Absolutely it will. And what happens, my belief is what happens is that the, the big fashion retail pushed by the market to develop better quality garments, which give a longer lease of life. Now let's, let's just go back to that t-shirt. The t-shirt is 1700s of liters roughly to make a t-shirt, but it's not only that you wash a t-shirt a certain number of times using water, and then you have to throw it away because it's not very good quality. Right, so spend all the take all that water involved just on that one t-shirt. So what we need to do is just develop nicer quality goods, which do cost consumers more, so they need less of them, right? But they do last longer. And then you have this existence of fast fashion, which will exist, and you have people like us coming along to develop the what you could call the slow fashion and the sustainable market, and we're all going to coexist together. Now, will the slice of the pie change? Absolutely, it will. Sustainability companies are going to grow exponentially. We are is growing exponentially. Fast fashion is going to take a little bit of a hit. All the other players are going to take a little bit of a hit. But the and the sustainable sector just grows bigger. And it, will it overtake fast fashion? It will do, but not for ten or fifteen years. It's going to take a considerable amount of time. Um, but you will get to the stage. You and I could, could go today across Europe, and in no major shopping centre. There is a proper sustainable, real second life player. And I can see in a very short space of time that changing quickly, where there will be decent competition to the big retailers with good, good second life offers. No question. Yeah, so you'll be able to go into one of the big shopping centers across Europe and you will be able to buy second life merchandise, which you cannot do today. But that will change. I'm quite sure about that. And certainly when we've done our pop-up events at places like Westfield, everybody in that shopping center was not bothered that it was second life fashion. They loved it. They were excited. They were proud. They came out of our pop-up and they thought, I've got great value, great fashion, and I've done something to save the world. Now that combination is retail heaven. When you're giving the customer great quality garment, a great value, and you're saving the planet. What could be more better for retail? It's a great thing to do. So that's that's what we're trying to do. In terms of the second, um, like the slow fashion secondhand market, would you say that we are? How is we are like distinct, um, distinguishing itself from its competitors? Are you are you trying to be like like an addition to the team? Are you trying to be better than everyone else? What sets you apart? Firstly, we are is a team, and we've got a great team of professional really professional retailers and we are all experienced big big main stage retailers so we understand shopkeeping very well we also have the, the we have the ability to scale and we know how to scale because most of us have done it before not many people have actually sat in a small water cabinet helped be part of the team to build up a big business so that is quite a useful attribute that we have and we also today I, we run businesses from moscow to dublin so we understand about employing people in all those nine countries which we do in between so we're not really competing with what i would call the the the, the, well, the kilo companies all the secondhand players we're sort of forging our own path which is different because they're doing the kilo companies are doing a great job they've got their customers maybe we'll have some of their customers but we'll bring more customers to the party the whole sector just gets bigger but we're, what we're trying to do is very professional well-run pop-up operations which appeal to everybody which hits major places across the UK and across Europe and build the sustainable sector quickly. So I think we're, 
we're growing the market because we're, we've got a lot of publicity. People are coming to our events that grows the market and we take a little bit of market share, but more importantly, we grow the market just much bigger. faster than it would have done. We're trying to normalize. This is what people who say, it's like coming to a normal shop, right? It is like, I mean, we're doing our best to make it like a normal shop. So what we're trying to do is normalize the purchasing of secondhand. And that is what appears to be happening at the moment. Would you ever consider making VR a normal shop? We, we are, we are opportunistic. We are entrepreneurial <laughs> and we never, ever thought they never look down the line. I am quite sure that at some stage we will have bricks and water. We will have a line. We will be a big player in this space. There's no question. It's all about timing. Business is about opportunity, timing, hard work, and just getting the, the model right. And then we can do lots of things. Yep. We don't want to run before we can walk. We just want to get it right, build, have fun, enjoy it. What do you think is VR's role in ensuring this sustainable fashion industry? And what other initiative have you guys adopted aside from the Hilo sales that you think has made a very positive impact? We think that the, first of all, let's go back to the thing. I think it's for everybody, which is important, not just young people. But we also think that garments as, as a whole need to live longer, okay? And need to be repaired and reused. So most of our pop-up events have an alterations area where customers can get things altered, which they have to pay for. And that is working really well. The customers are really engaging with this reuse, repair operation that we've got going on and it brings more theater and more fun to our events and that we lose money on it, but it's not, it's not about that. It's about what we're doing. We're building a big, sustainable, recycled second life business. That alterations is important because people know they can come in and they can buy a pair of jeans, which don't fit perfectly, but they can have a nipper in the back and then they can wear them and they're very happy with them. The next thing that our buyers are doing is putting together strong ranges of upcycled merchandise. That's where, when we're processing in our distribution centers, they're looking at the pickers are picking out garments, which aren't good enough for us, but when we can cut them up and we can use them for, to make nicer garments elsewhere, that's what we're doing as well. And we've got a whole upcycling project going on. So we see that as a, an important component, which we're doing. And we think upcycling and alterations just get bigger as we grow. So they're important to us. How does the upcycling work? Cycling is where, say for example, you take a pair of jeans, which has got cuts in it or a broken zip. Easy to change the broken zip. Some people like cuts in their jeans, but other people don't. And so we can put nice patches on it. We could take a t-shirt, which is oversized and make it into a crop top, which someone else will wear. We could take a coat and slightly change the sleeve length. It doesn't mean that we're reducing the amount of large size goods. What we're always trying to do is just use damaged goods better to stop us throwing things. We throw nothing away. We try and reuse everything. And if it's not reused, the, the garments that are right at the bottom of our supply chain are sent back and they're recycled into rags, which are used in factories or something, things like that. So everything that we're doing is about a complete sustainable, all, 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 all the cotton is, is, is reused as it were. How does all of this work? Like where, where do, like, where does that process happen and where do the clothes come from and how do they end up like in VR's pop-up shop? Across Europe, you will see recycling donation centers in Germany or Italy or in the UK, you'll see those metal bins, you'll see 
charity things or see charity things. So people primarily donate or they sell. They end up in third-party operations and you go to very big processing plants where people are literally going through the garments to find things which can be reworn. Lots of garments are going off to Africa and India. A large proportion, I'd say 90% of Europe's second-hand merchandise is destined for Africa, um, Pakistan and India. But some of it is good enough to be resold. And we are purchasing in large quantities from anywhere from across Europe, um, other states, when the, the merchandise is of, is of a quality that we can resell. The charities get their contributions from the people in the middle because the people who've got the bins are generally giving a donation to charity and that's how, it, that's how it's working. But the second life market is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So the, the demand for these goods means that they're not kind of, you, you, we're having to pay, then it's not so cheap to buy them. They're kind of quite expensive to buy. And also customers need nice quality. That's one of the things that when you go into our event, hopefully most of the goods are, are a decent quality. That's what we're trying to do. The idea of buying secondhand has been, you know, popularized on platforms like YouTube and Instagram. And, and that's how, like, I found about all of this. But why do you think that people are buying secondhand now? Do you think it's because, you know, vintage pieces or like thrifted pieces are trending or do you think it's because like they really care about the planet and you know sustainability and the cost aspect of things cost saving aspect of things I think it's a couple of things I think your your generation are heavily influenced by YouTube this <laughs> that and the other it's doing this that and the other and I think other people might wake up in the morning and listen to today on Radio 4 and we too are being pumped about saving the planet and eating um, uh, eating correctly and this that and the other so Everybody we hear, everywhere we hear, the sustainability message is very hard. Now, you, you won't remember this, but remember when, kind of go back in time, organic food. Think about organic food, right? And when it started, organic food was absolutely tiny. You know, so you'd go into Tesco, you'd go into Asda, you'd go into Waitrose, and Waitrose would have a bigger selection because the middle classes wanted to eat organic food before the Tesco or the Asda customers. Right. But now, if you go into every supermarket, already little, everybody has a good selection of organic food. Right. And the second-hand market will grow exactly the same way. It will grow exponentially like organic food did, and it will just become more available to, 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 more, to more people. So, yes, it's popular on YouTube, but you know something? Everybody's interested in it. The mothers at school are interested because they want the plant. Everybody wants to do their bit for children. Everybody's doing this. Uh, and I think it's just a general thing that people, it's the, and in many ways, Eliza, the pandemic, when people were sitting at home not doing very much, it gave them the opportunity to rethink lots of things. And people began to realize lots of things. Look, look at how people work. And I think that people's approach to sustainability greatly changed when they had time to think about what they were doing to the planet. And if we just go back to that lovely t-shirt fact I keep quoting, all those liters of water, it's just not good. This is just not sustainable. The world's going to grow, and we will, if each of us do our bit, we can all change it. I'm not a green warrior, but what I deeply believe is that good entrepreneurs should be doing the right thing, right? And if people, if we don't do it, nothing's going to change. So we've all got to do our bit, and then it can, it can be, it will be good. Yeah, it'll be okay. Yeah, I agree. Like, what was that was really true? Like, what about, about how, because of the pandemic, like, and us being cooped at home has really forced us to, you know, like reevaluate 
like the things we do in our day-to-day lives and how to make better decisions in terms of our impact towards the planet. And for example, do you think now that you will just shop, during the pandemic, everybody just had to shop online. Mm-hmm. I bet you go to shops and enjoy going to shops. Yeah. Exactly. You're not going to not go to, are you not going to go to shops? No, I love going to shops. <laughs> Hold on. What did I say? People love shopping. Mm-hmm. No, you might, you're going to buy online. I'm not going to say you're not going to buy online. You're going to buy online and you're going to buy in stores. It's that lovely combination because you like the atmosphere. You like to touch the garments. You occasionally like to try things on. You like to go with your friends. You like to buy a day out. There are many reasons why people like to go shopping. So, and it happens all, all across the world like that. So shopping, good old-fashioned shops, and the pop-up event-based model where people come along for a day, people really enjoy because they know we're like a circus. We sort of pop up, have a party, people come along, and then by the end of the day, six o'clock, bye-bye, circus is gone. We're on to the next town. Right. And it's that kind of fun pop up mentality which makes the customers, huh, they're here today, but they're not here tomorrow. And that's what happens. And people seem to people seem to enjoy that that, that model. That is really interesting. Like you really like forget, like because after being locked down for so long, you really appreciate being able to, you know, like have the things in your hand before you like decide to purchase it. So I think so I understand how that model is very appealing. And also, what TKMX taught us was touch and feel. When you pick up a garment, you can tell a different quality because you can touch it. With a second-hand garment, it's almost more, look, Depop are doing great, but it's almost more important to touch that Nike sweatshirt to feel, does it look, has it worn? Does it look worn around the neck? Does it look worn around the cuffs? Which you cannot see really online because people will do a nice shot, which doesn't show you where the wear, the wear is. Whereas when they come to, people come to our event, they look at the garment. If they don't want to buy it, they just put it back on the rack. So it's about lots of people really enjoy that concept of touching, looking at it and checking the garment before they purchase it. Do you think that the fashion industry will one day truly become sustainable? And, you know, what, do you, what role do you think that these high street brands play in this revolution? You know, as you said, they are already making like a very big effort into like their sustainable practices. But do you think that they're doing enough? I deeply believe the fashion industry or the good players, and let's talk about the Zara's and the H&M's and the Next's. The senior leadership of those companies will, I'm sure, be imploring all their teams to work as hard as possible to do all the right things, and I'm sure they do. There are other players in the market where garments are not good, and we all know the kind of the very cheap players in the market, and I think they've got a real problem. And if I was an investor in those businesses where there is not the quality is so bad that the garment doesn't have a second life, I would be worried from a shareholder point of view that those businesses have got a real problem because the younger generation, although at the moment they're still buying that little black dress to go out, which they can wear once, that will change that market. So I think it's fine. I think the big the fast fashion industry will change. There's still people who I worry about where I'm not sure they're going to do enough or re- already want to do enough. They're going to say they're doing enough, but whether they actually do much is a different, whether it's going to change. Yeah. But uh, in time, it's definitely, definitely changing. And look, going to an H&M, they've got recycled bins in all of their stores. Their cotton production's better. They're trying quickly. So I'm not someone who sits here today saying, oh, the fashion, first fashion is a nightmare. I'm saying we're all going to exist together. We're going to get bigger, right? But 
I do believe they are trying to give their garments a second life. And our customers, when they come into the, people said, oh, it's all got to be vintage. It's all got to be this. It's all got to be that. And my Zara secondhand garment, people buy it. They like it because it's great quality. It's good value. Blah, 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 blah. So yeah, fast fashion is not so bad. Looking forward, what, what do you wish to see fashion in say 20 years time? What, what do you think that the future buzzword surrounding the industry will be? I think that quality becomes the most, one of the most important things. Okay. You mm -hmm. can have fashion, but you can have quality, right? So if we think of just laptops and we think of Apple, Apple always do quality products, which last, right? And they can get a second life because they're a very sensible and strong and they think they're a very foresighted company. And what we need with the apparel industry is to move in a similar direction, which says, look, when we make it something, let's at least make it nicely so that it's got a chance to have a second life. Does that mean it costs a little bit more? Absolutely. Does that mean the consumer buys less garments? Absolutely. Customers have less garments in their wardrobe. But what we all want to happen is that all garments which are produced can and are built of a quality which can last longer. Then it works better for everybody. New garments will not disappear. Second life garments will get used again and the combination will be better for the planet. And it's that combination, which I hope and deeply believe will happen going forward. I, I look forward to it. I, I'm really excited to see um, how all of this is going to play out because I'm, I'm from Malaysia and the, the scene, like the secondhand fashion scene is not as big as in the UK. So like in, in say 20 years time, if we have pop-up shops happening, like in my hometown, I'm really excited to see that potentially happening one day. We all know that in certain markets, certain markets, the UK, the West Coast of America, um, things go ahead. What we mm -hmm. also know is that things then flip back. And obviously the biggest market is China. It takes a lot longer in China for anything to change. But I do believe even then, when I go visit there, things are changing there. So it's a slow process, but it's certainly a process. And it is changing. There's no question. And also, I think it moves away from just being vintage and it just being a fashion to being a far more normal purchase for people. We talked about price and that's an interesting point you see because secondhand garments are obviously cheap, yeah. right? So the fast fashion industry is built on price. Now with some of that business will move to secondhand because the price is cheaper. So it's going to, it works economically, it works as well for the consumer, which is good. Now moving on to our next section, which is real talk. So the question I have for you, Matt, is if you could change one thing about society, what would it be? Difficult questions. Everybody, particularly in the UK and in some countries, but not all countries in Europe, everybody believes that you have to go to university, you have to be academically successful, or you have to be connected in some kind of rich family, know people, this, that, and the other to get anywhere. I deeply believe that if you work hard, you are lucky, um, you can get in, but we've got to change the perception that it's just a certain mechanic going to university or knowing people that allows people to be successful. I just don't believe it's true, but it really is ingrained in society, particularly in the UK, that you have to do that. And for many, many people going to university is not the best thing to do. And there is a move now to more apprenticeships and a more of a, a learning based involvement with business. And that's, that's 
that, that that's a good thing because academic uh, qualifications certainly don't don't suit everybody. And I, I'd like to see a, a, a change where it, it's more. You don't have to be just a great university graduate to be successful, because I think it rules out automatically at the beginning lots and lots of people, which is wrong. Yeah. In our business, in our business, we always look for lots of talent, and they don't have to have it. We interview lots of people. We're we're just looking for little diamonds who can go on and learn with us and fuck everything up. Experience. We give them lots of big opportunities. We've got twenty-year-olds who manage teams of twenty people. We've got young people running countries for us. Um, if we give people and we teach them, I spend lots of my time teaching. And if you, if you do that, that's the way that some people really develop really quickly. Unless everybody, and unless we encourage more people to do, we don't want to keep people down. We want as many young people to do really well as possible. And that's really important to us. Yeah, I agree. Like there's always this notion that in order to be successful in the future, you, you need to go to university and, and you need to have this degree before you can even set your foot into a company. And like, I, I agree with like what you said, like it really is about how badly you want to succeed. And in some industries, right? I, I'm, in some, I'm in the city of London talking to lawyers or in different things, in certain very established industries, you clearly need lots of qualifications. Mm-hmm. But in many others, you certainly don't. And when I sit in these meetings with these lawyers, this, that and the other, I'm not the stu- most stupid person in the room. I just have a different skill set to all the lawyers and the accountants. Um, but it's about in certain sectors, yes, you need an education, but in other sectors, you don't need it as kind of, you can get work experience just as well. What is one unconventional truth that you believed helped you achieve your success today? Now it goes back to the education. I'm one of these people who failed everything. I failed all my exams practically. I was only good at maths. I'm, I am very good at maths, but I didn't do very well at the school at maths, but I'm quicker than most of the accountants at maths. <laughs> and I enjoy geography because I like to, I even managed to fail my driving test three times. I think through failure, it builds you a sort of determination. And I've still got the old school for it. I used to do a newspaper when I was 12 and four of us went off to into industry and we all, we've all done okay. And we keep in touch and it makes you super determined. All my friends passed everything. They went to great universities. They got first, second, whatever. I didn't pass anything. I didn't go to university. But if you work hard and you're competitive and you keep working hard and you're a bit lucky, you can do perfectly well. And I think it's really important that people should never give up. They should just keep going, try, 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 try. And in the end, it's not normally what normally work out okay. I, I, I think that adversity like gives you the best stories to tell. Like imagine, imagine how boring like your story would be if like, you know, I, I succeeded in everything in my life, you know, from like when I was younger all the way till now, I've never had a failure. I can remember my, my, my friends went to university and, um, I was at, I wasn't going I was working at John Lewis at the time mm-hmm. and I was buying and selling Wimbledon tickets, just making 500 quid here, a thousand quid there. But it was teaching me so much. And they were at university doing their degrees. And we, it was just interesting how at different, this was when I was 20 or 21. It was interesting at different points in our lives, how we had these learning experiences, which really, really stick with you. So it just, it's about the individuals. And that's why in our company, we interview graduates, we interview people who haven't got degrees, but all we're looking for is those little diamonds who have, what well, we call it open to learn. And if people are open to learn, they can do very well because they just learn from these great. And if you've got a good mentor or good mentors, these young people can go on and do really great things. And that's what excites us about the We Are Business. We're always looking 
in our teams because we're always growing to find the next leaders and that's working nicely for us. Would, would you say that you had a mentor when you were starting out? I've been lucky. I've been seriously lucky. I've had three or four great people who have, who have really come over the years. I was taught, the, think of the Christmas cracker market in the UK. It was a huge, very quiet, profitable, successful business. One of the founders of one of the biggest cracker companies would teach, even though he teach me every so often, but he was, they were fantastic with me. And I learned lots of things about business, which most people didn't. And I look, it was only through luck that I met them. They were nice to me. And they admired me and I admired them. And there, I, there'd be lots of, and at some of the big companies I've worked with, my good mentors at John Lewis, it makes a big difference. And once you've had that, and that's why I do it back to people now, because I've been lucky that I didn't go to university, but I've had a few good mentors. And that, that's made me uh, a better manager. There's no question about that. That's and, and kind of when we started TK, there was an old Jewish man and he used to come over. He was about 80 when he started coming. And the, the American bosses used to send him over to teach the buyers how to talk to their suppliers. And we weren't allowed to speak to a supplier for six months when we started TK until we were taught. I was a buyer for, I was buying for John Lewis. I'd regularly done this job. I bought five other companies. When I joined TK, I wasn't allowed to talk to anybody until I spoke in a TK Max way. And this old man would listen down the phone to my conversation with a supplier and he'd say, Matthew, at that moment, your intonation, you spoke too loudly. You gave the wrong thing. And then when I'd go to a meeting with him, this old, little old man would shuffle along with me to the supplier and he'd watch me negotiate and he'd write me little notes. And after the meeting, we'd sit down and at each point, he'd say, you did this right, you did that right, you did that. And the difference it made to me as a negotiator was unbelievable. So we talk about mentors, there's a lot of lack in this, right? And it's finding the people that you can work well with. And I was lucky, certainly. Was there one piece of advice that you received, or you wish you received before starting I, out? I didn't, I didn't start on my own until I was just under 40. Okay. Um, oh. that, I've done okay in those period in between, I've done okay. And there's a give and take for working for big companies. You learn a lot, you get paid quite well if you're senior and it's very steady. Every month you get your salary, you get good bonuses, this, that, and, that. and you learn. Uh, there's a moment in time where you can, you coast. And I think if I'd have left the big companies 10 years earlier, I'd be more successful than I am today. There's no question about that. Because I think once you've, that you can learn enough from a big company and then you have to say, it's time to move on. Yeah. So I wished I'd gone on my own a little bit earlier, but I'm having a lot of fun now. I, I learned an awful lot. I cannot complain. Yeah. I can imagine. Like, it sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, we have fun. We are, we're building a fun, big business and that's fun. Yeah. Everybody knows it's, it's good fun. Well, thank you for your time, Matt, and talking to us about how we are shaping fashion for a sustainable future. To wrap up our interview, we have one final question to ask you, which is if you could invite anyone in the world you would want for a podcast interview, who would you invite? This was an easy one for me. I would like to invite Amancio Ortega, who set up Zara. He's 85, year old. He's 85 years old. He's did three public interviews. So I've already looked, only got two more public interviews left based on this. And he has built the most believable company. You think you go to Malaysia, you go to China, you go to London, you go to New York, you go to Los Angeles. 
everywhere I went last week, Istanbul, Athens, there are Inditex shops, not just Zara. There's Pull and Bear, there's Massimo, there's Zara Home. Everywhere has got lots of their outlets. You go in, the quality is generally very good. I am quite sure that they are doing a lot for sustainability and they are trying hard. And that the people he's left in charge and his daughter will be making sure that the Inditex group are doing their bit for sustainability. But I think the way that they've been pilloried is not fair because the market's just changed. The consumer demanded it. Um, but I think they're going to, they'll be work, working very hard. And I think what he did since 1975 to build that business is just unbelievable. And he's, apart from the, the Walmart family, the most successful retailer in the world. And as a shopkeeper, I think it'd be nice to have a chat with him. Was there something that you would like to ask him? Like one question? The one question I'd like to ask is, I'd like to ask him the question, how big is sustainability really of their agenda? Now, are they, do, they're not doing, I think they're doing it genuinely, but I think it'd be a very interesting question to ask him because I think it's important. And I think the real leaders of the businesses are really pushing their troops to, I'm sure if we took, if you talk to Lord Wolfson at next, or March and Primark, they will be working seriously hard to make sure that their buyers are buying as sustainably as possible. But they'll be focused on the selling price, but they'll be making sure they're doing as good a job as possible. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us on the podcast today. I'm very, very happy for being able to speak to you. Thank and you I, so much I, for your time. And I look forward to seeing you at one of our events. And we're popping up across the UK and a lot of North London over the next few months and we're coming to Germany from March and April so that's when we're going there as well. I would also like to invite any LSE student to come to a We Are event this year for free and if they show their student card at our welcome desk our team will let them in. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week and leave your message after the beep.